Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Ki Tavo, When You Come. The address is Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 26, verse 1, through chapter 29, verse 8. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I am the author, Torah teacher, Ariel Ben Lyman. The written commentary was updated on July 4th of 2006. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachar Banu Mekol HaAmim V'Natan Lanuet Torato Baruch Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Kitavo, here in Deuteronomy, means when you come. Uh, the opening verses, the opening pasukim, speak to Israel about taking of the first fruit of the ground. The fruit of the ground, if you'll recall, is um, has been mentioned elsewhere in the Torah. Sometimes when we refer to the first fruits, we say the umre uh, sheet, for instance, the first sheaf that was waved uh, during the spring feast of um, the, the one that came right after Hamatzah. Some people refer to this as um, waving the sheaf, the first omer, the omer count. Omer reshit, the word rosh in that phrase reshit refers to first. Other times, uh, for instance in the festival of Shavuot, we refer to these firstlings as bikurim. The root word bakar um, refers to that which breaks forth first. Um, the firstling, but here we have a slightly different phrase. I mean, the the uh, the the verse said, um, uh, "Speak to Israel uh, about taking of the first through the ground." Let me read now from the Stone Edition Tanakh, English and Hebrew for you, because I'm going to bring something out uh, just before we get started. The first verse in the English of this Torah portion out of the um, Stone Tanakh reads. It will be when you enter the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it, and you dwell in it. Okay, that's where we get the uh, the name of the passage. Um, tavo, the root word uh, in Tavo, uh, the root word is Bo, and it's been translated by Strong's Concordance as to go in, or to enter, or to come in, um, to to arrive, uh, to lead in, to carry in, things like that. 
And um, what's really neat about this particular word is, according to Strong's, the uh, root word, the call stem, is um, it's a primitive, primitive root. It's the very, very first um, con- uh, conjugation of the word. Uh, the word meaning bow. So when we say vahayakitavo el ha'aretz asher adonai lohecha notein lecha nachala, when it will be when you enter the land, uh, when you go into the land. The really neat thing about this particular word bow that you can hear in the word tavo bow is that in the call stem, a call stem of the Hebrew word is always translated as a perfect tense. That is to say, it's a completed action. It's in the past. It has already happened. And so, if we look at this verse, it says, when you have entered the land. When you have entered. Okay? A translation that says, when you will enter the land, um, is not catching the full force of the tense of the verb, bo. Uh, That is to say, it should be in the past tense. When you have entered. Therefore, what we have here is um, God basically promising to Israel that they are going to go in. Why would he tell them when you have entered? Why wouldn't he say, if you enter the land, this is what you are to do? Leaving the room open for there to be a possibility that they might not make it in. But by the verse actually being spoken in the prophetic um, past tense... You know, kind of like Isaiah 53 where it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. It's, it's the voice of the Lord telling the recipients, that's, that's us reading the passage today, that the event is sure to happen. In fact, from God's point of view, prophetically, it has already happened. Because God can see the future from the present. He can see the end from the beginning. So it's a wonderful reality that we pick up here uh, by examining the Hebrew vo el when you have entered the land, when you have come to the land, all right? And now uh, I want to focus on another part of this passage uh, in the uh, the offering itself, the taking of the first fruit. And if we look at Pasuk 2 now, the f- second verse out of the stone edition reads this way, that you shall take of the Take of the first of every fruit of the ground that you bring in from your land that Hashem your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that Hashem your God will choose to make his name rest there. I just want to focus on the first um, part of that passage, of that particular passage, where it says that you shall take of the first fruit of, of uh, the first of every fruit of the ground. The Hebrew says, um, And and uh, it's this phrase um, that I've have written in my commentary there. If you if if you can see the Hebrew, you must be looking at the PDF document that that is available on our website. If you just see a bunch of jumbled numbers and symbols, then you're probably reading it from the um, the Yahoo Mail, which strips the Hebrew font uh, as uh, HTML font is not allowed to go through. Um, the, uh, uh, the 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 mailing procedure that just strips it down to plain text, and so. Um, or if you're using Hotmail, because uh, I do send it through Hotmail as well. Hotmail allows for the HTML to go through, and so you'll end up seeing the the Hebrew. But it says there, "Valakachti mirishit kol prihadama." When you take of the first fruit of the ground, pri fruit, and haadama the ground. It goes on to talk about that we offer it to the Lord upon entering the land of promise. Again, to offer the first of the produce of the ground 
was to affirm and signify that the person was dedicating everything he has to the service of Hashem with this demonstration of his offering of the Priha Adama. And um, it's important for us to remember that this offering is a declaration of Hashem's faithfulness that as the person, uh, I'm sorry, that as God swore to our ancestors, he has indeed performed. In other words, as we come into the land, and according to the first Pasik, we will make it to the land, if we understand, the, uh, the again, the tense of the verb bo, which means to arrive, and it's, and it's already in a perfected uh, state, it's the, the, the tense is past tense, um, then um, what we need to understand is that uh, once we have made it to the land, we are now reminded as, as children of Israel that God promised to our forefathers, he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov that he would bring us to the land. And now we see verses like this coming uh, into our communities to remind us that once we make it to the land, we are to offer the first of the um, a fruit of the land as a declaration of God's faithfulness and of our service to him. Notice the statement in my commentary, quote, We have come to the land of promise. We have come to the land of promise. Look at Pasuk 4 in the passage again. Let's go down. The Kohen shall take the basket from your hand and lay it before the altar of Hashem, your God. Then you shall call out and say before Hashem, your God, an Aramean tried to destroy my forefather. He descended to Egypt and sojourned there, few in numbers, and there he became a nation great, strong, and numerous. And it goes on to talk about how the Egyptians mistreated everyone and things like that. But look at, um, I, I, I said, in my commentary, I meant Pasuk 3. Then shall come, I'm sorry, you shall come to whoever will be the Kohen in those days, and you shall say to him, quote, I declare today to Hashem your God that I have come to the land that Hashem swore to our forefathers to give us. There's the promise and the declaration. God gives the promise to our forefathers. We come to the land, we offer the first fruit of the land to show that we are um, dedicated to God and that everything that we have is God, this tie that we give to God. And then we also make this declaration before the Kohen, the priest, that I have come to the land that the Lord uh, swore to our ancestors. Do you see the importance of the uh, the two pieces of of, uh, of of coming into the land and offering this this Adama, the fruit of the land, um, to the Lord our God. It's important that we understand this, that God's faithfulness is demonstrated not only to the, um, the, the Avot, the fathers of old, Avraham, Isaac, Yaakov, Moshe, the prophets and such, but that also God's faithfulness, and this is the part I want you guys to listen up now, God's faithfulness is demonstrated in the actions that we walk into. By us going into the land, we prove God's faithfulness. If we forfeit and do not go into the land, as the passages we're talking about, if we were to forfeit and at that day uh, we're not able to go into the land, then we demonstrate that God is a liar and that he's impotent. He can't get us into the land. And so the people had to go into the land. The same is true for us today. I'm just drawing a principle, is that the promises of God can be sure and they can be counted on. But the, the important final step in the promises of God is that people like you and me, we believers, we need to walk into them. We need to step into the reality that the promises are uh, are, are 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 telling to us uh, to us to our communities um, that they are demonstrating to us. They are very real promises, and so prophecy must be fulfilled. And that's the important point I'm trying to make. The offering, I go on to say in my commentary, like any other offering, was facilitated through the priest. He is the authority. He's the spokesman for God. This has always been Hashem's pattern of worship. And you know what? It remains down to this day. 
All who carefully name the name of the Lord must approach him in the sacrificial intercession of whom? His only and unique son, Yeshua, our ultimate high priest. We must approach God through God's method of approach. We cannot circumvent the priests no matter what day and age we live in. There's always been God's plan of intercession, intermediator, um, and, and intermediate between us and God. God set it up that way. That doesn't speak of any deficiency in God's plans. To approach God otherwise is to risk rejection and ultimately spiritual death. Because God says, if you want to worship me, then you must approach me in this manner. And the Torah prescribes the manners in which to approach God. Thus, the pattern remains consistent. Let's move on to my commentary. Let's move down further into chapter 26. Because the um, the crux of the teaching is found in chapter 26 today. And that's where I'm going to... Um, draw a lot of my uh, uh, information from. And then I'm going to move into chapter 28. I'll skip over chapter 27. Um, this next section in my commentary is entitled chapter 26. The crux of the, uh, the, crux of the parasha is found in chapter 26, verses 16 through 19, where we see that truly God and Israel are an inseparable covenant pair. Remember, they got married in Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20 the giving of the Devarim, the ten words. And so they are married. They are an inseparable pair, and God plans on sticking it out with them. They will just stick it out with him. Moshe informs his listeners, which we're privy to, right? Moshe is talking to them. The words have been preserved by the Spirit for us, and now we're able to read them here uh, 3,500 years later. But Moshe informs his, his listeners that it is Hashem's desire to have his covenant people intimately identify him with him. By becoming its treasured people, the Hebrew phrase treasured people is Amsagula. And his people are also going to become special by carefully upholding or establishing in the earth God's commandments. God's people were given God's words and God's ways so that they can demonstrate to everyone that God is the one true God and that anyone wishing to, to approach God needs to do so through God's method of approach. Again, the sacrifices, the priests, etc. To be sure, Moshe describes in no uncertain terms the condition in which the commandments, the mitzvot, are to be carried out. And what is that condition? We must walk into God's words with all of our heart and with all of our soul. Look at chapter 26 at Pasuk 17. I want to read that for you again. Um, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time in the Stone Edition Tanakh uh, until I say otherwise. Pasuk 17 says, You have distinguished Hashem today to be a God for you and to walk in His ways and to observe His decrees, His commandments and His statutes and to hearken to His voice. And then look at... Um, look at Pasuk, why well, I just can't seem to get the verses right. Look at Pasuk 16. I said 17, but look at 16. This day, Hashem your God commands you to perform these decrees and the statutes, and you shall observe and perform them with all your heart and with all your soul. Sound familiar? It should, because we learned this principle of with all your heart and with all your soul in the Shema. It is part of the central teachings uh, within Judaism and in Christianity is that we love the Lord with all our God, love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. This, of course, is repeated in the Apostolic Scriptures and is confirmed by Yeshua as being one of the greatest commandments next to loving our neighbor as ourself. So, what is the problem with these instructions? Do you do you spot anything wrong with them at all? 
I didn't think so. There is nothing wrong with the instructions that God gives to man. They are perfect in their transmission. They lack nothing. Even though sometimes details are left out, the Holy Spirit is there to guide us and help us to walk into that which God gives us. God will never give us an impossible task. He will always equip us. If he's going to call us, he will equip us. I see these clever bumper stickers as I drive down the road. One of them said, God doesn't equip the called. I'm sorry, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. If God's going to ask you to do something, he's going to equip you to do it. So we can be sure that these instructions are perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. And the man Moshe continues by stating that they, Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, have distinguished Hashem to be their only God and to walk in his ways, while Hashem, for his part, has distinguished Am Yisrael to be his treasured people. You see the relationship between the two of them? Um... God says to Israel, he's going to make them supreme over all the other nations on the earth. God is going to single Israel out to be his witnesses in the earth. And that is exactly the way we believers have been described in the apostolic scriptures. We are a light set on a hill, a city that cannot be hid. This is our mandate. And this is our calling, people. We need to understand that we have the calling of Israel because we are grafted into Israel. We are a part of Israel. We are, in fact, the remnant of Israel. If you name the name of Yeshua as your Messiah, then you are the remnant of Israel. And therefore, as you read these these Pesukim, these verses, understand that these words are for you. Um, now, talking about this supreme position, um, Amsugalah, God's treasured people. Don't confuse this unique position, okay? I've heard people talk about this. Everybody's heard the, the phrase, the chosen people. The chosen people. Chosen for what, though? Chosen for what? Well, let's answer the question. This special election is a display of God's divine will. It's not a matter of playing favorites. God is not choose playing favorites. God's will is... And God's purposes are meted out through his chosen people, through the nation of Israel. He's not playing favorites and saying, well, I like Israel better than I like the Egyptians. I like Israel better than I like the Russians. I like Israel better than I like the Chinese. God's not saying that one people group is better than the other people groups. All right? In other words, Israel is singled out for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To showcase the holiness of God to all the peoples of the earth. And to do what? To bring glory to the one and only creator of all mankind. That's why she's singled out. She's not set aside just so she can look pretty and have everybody else envy her. In other words, her singling out... Her being singled out is not an ends to a means. I'm sorry, it's not an ends of itself. It, it, it's not just to to spectate, uh, 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 to, just to um, to be a spectacle, just to to showcase Israel, just to show how beautiful she is. You know, like we might single out our favorite um, um, suit so that when we wear it, we show it off, and and the suit itself becomes the object of attention, or our favorite dress. Or, or, or a favorite article of clothing, our favorite pair of shoes when we wear them on special occasions and so that we can draw attention to the shoes themselves. That's not how Israel was supposed to be seen. She's not singled out so everybody can look at her and go, wow, you're special. You're the chosen people. No. She's chosen for a task. And that task is difficult. So, we who live with the tension of believing in Yeshua's faithful sacrifice while becoming submissive to the Torah of Hashem, we believers today, we must understand that we have joined ourselves to this divine calling 
as well. We are a part of Israel. We are, in fact, chosen. We are the chosen people as well. Now, we don't replace Israel. We join them. We join the commonwealth of Israel. You can read this in Romans chapter 11, and you can read about it in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 as well. Now, I say tension earlier. We live with the tension of believing in Jesus while becoming submissive to the Torah, believing in Jesus and keeping the commandments, a term that's found twice in the book of Revelation. Why do I have to say tension? Because in the 21st century, um, we recognize that for the last 2,000 years or so, there's existed a great confusion over whether or not a believer should even attempt to become Torah submissive. Lots of confusion today. Go to your average church. Go to your average synagogue. Ask questions. Let them know that you're not Jewish and ask them if you can keep the Torah. And you're going to find some surprising answers at both locations. Basically, if you go to the church and ask them as a Gentile, should you keep Torah, the standard answer will be no. Conversely, if you go over to your standard synagogue and tell them that you're not a a Jew, tell them that you're a Gentile, tell them you're a Christian, and ask them if you should be keeping Torah, and you'll find out that they'll tell you the same answer. They'll tell you no. So this idea... Uh, of, of keeping the Torah, it becomes a question in the 21st century uh, church. Uh, and again, within standard Judaic circles, it becomes um, an issue that's just, it's, it's, it's decided by the Jewish authorities today that Gentiles do not need to keep the Torah, the 613. And you know what? This idea is really rather ludicrous when common sense is exercised. What do I mean? Of course a genuine child of God should be Torah submissive. Hello? They're God's words, and God is our God, and we name God as our God. Isn't that what Israel did right here in the passages? They said, God is our God. We will, be his, we will be his people, and he will be our God. So why shouldn't they walk in his ways? I think it's rather cruel to imagine a God who would put a whole nation of people through the unnecessary judgment of wandering for 40 years in a barren wilderness for doing what? For failing to perform his commandments, right? God did that then only to send his son into the world 1,500 years later to set all men free from these very same commandments. Sounds ridiculous, no? It is. It is ridiculous. And we need to wake up, people. As a 21st century church, we need to wake up and understand that God's words cannot be so easily dismissed by a theological wave of our magic wand to say that the Torah has been done away with. We need to understand the Torah from God's eternal perspective. We need to beg God for his mercy and his grace for dismissing his Torah 2,000 or so years ago. Summarily dismissing it, by the way. Um, Basically, I'm not saying that we we say that the moral parts are dismissed. But the ceremonial and the civil parts, I'm I'm referring to Calvin's three uses of the law, the ceremonial and the civil, a.k.a. the Sabbaths, the festivals, the dietary restrictions and things like that, we should not so easily have dismissed these important factors of the Torah while... Uh, ostensibly clinging to the moral issues like thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not commit adultery. We've got a lot to learn in the 21st century church. This Torah portion today vividly details the curses associated with failure to obey the commandments of God. Oh yes, blessings and curses are still in operation today. You don't believe me? You married men try this trick at home. Actually, I'm saying don't try this, okay? But just for the sake of my teaching, listen to what I'm about to tell you. You say you're a believer, you say you believe in Jesus, and you say you're not under the curses. You don't think so? Okay, if you're married, just go try cheating on your wife repeatedly and without remorse. See if the 
curses don't slip into your life. See if the curses don't chase you down. See if God doesn't diminish whatever ministry opportunities that you have um, gotten yourself involved in at your local church or local congregation. See if God doesn't start punishing you. Yeah, I didn't think so. Or, try this trick. If you're no longer under the curses of the law, just go out and start stealing. Just go out and start stealing from the store. You see something, you need it, you don't have the money, go ahead and take it. See if God doesn't make sure that the diminishment of life, uh, 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 the, the diminishment of blessing, starts making itself very evident in your life. That's right. God does not change. His words do not change. And so we must understand, to uh, 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 as we read these passages, um, that, that, that they are still effectual for us today. Now, it is true that as we move from community to community, a.k.a. either a theocracy or democracy or, or, or things like that, that um, the uh, uh, meeting out of the punishment changes. For instance, capital punishment um, within, according to the Torah, for instance, Sabbath violation is a capital offense. Um, the violation is supposed to be meted out with death eventually. We, we no longer have capital punishment for Sabbath violation. But then again, we don't live under a theocracy now, do we? That doesn't mean that God's words are ineffective. It just means that God has allowed his words to be contextualized within the community that we live in. But the blessing and the curses are still in effect. And so we need to understand how God... Um, uh, what's the word, word I want to use? How, how God halakhically, um meets out the same punishment but allows the uh, uh, some of the details to change. We see this, for instance, in the apostolic scriptures when Rav Shaul, in, for instance, to say the book of, I believe it's, 1 Corinthians, might be 2nd though, uh, where he talks about um, dis, uh, uh, taking the the the, uh, um, the adulterer and putting him outside of your midst, when according to the Torah, the, the adulterer should have been stoned, right? They should have been, um, it's a capital offense. But according to Shaul, by his day, if you remember, Rome had already um, taken capital punishment away from Israel. Therefore, they could no longer try people and condemn them to death um, Rome had their big, they had their thumb on, their big thumb on Israel, and so Paul could instruct his his congregations to to excommunicate the ostensible believer who is also a practicing uh, adulterer, and excommunication was really the same net effect as when God said in the Tanakh period, put him outside the camp, um, excommunicate him, and I'll deal with him, A.K.A. I'll make sure that he dies or that he pays for his sin. So. We must grasp, actually I should say in order to grasp, the concepts contained within these next few chapters of this uh, passages that we're reading, then we must read and we must understand the true Torah uh, intentions. We must understand true Torah obedience first. We must begin to put our minds back into what it means to walk into God's Torah. I cannot stress this issue too much here. Okay, If we are to live our lives in a manner that is pleasing to our heavenly Abba, then we must understand and come to grips with the commandments, with the mitzvot. And we must also, this is very, very important, we must also be aware of our heart's attitude toward them. What do I mean by that? Well, it's one thing to look at God's words and God's ways and say, God, I want to do what you ask me to do. It's another thing to pull out the passages that speak of, say, Sabbath-keeping, kosher, um, loving my neighbor, um, doing justice, uh, looking out for the widows in our community and the, and the orphans, um, 
pursuing justice, all, all the commandments that we find in the Torah, it's another thing to look at these and say, okay, God, I want to do them, but I don't know how. Will you teach me? Will you mold me? Will you take me by the hand, as it were, like a little child, and begin to show me how to walk in your ways? I, I'm, I'm hungry for you, God. I'm hungry for you. I want to know you in the fellowship of your commandments. And did you know this? This is, this is not a secret, but for some reason it seems to be um, hidden from the minds of many 21st century believers. Um, and that's this. We often talk about drawing close to God. We often talk about, God, show me your ways. I want to I know your heart. I want to I draw close to you. And this, of course, is true. Um, it, it is, of course, true that we can accomplish this by, by, by sincere prayer, by uh, intercession, by praying, by worship, um, by fasting, and, and these types of inner personal uh, disciplines that we can walk through. But did you also know that it's God's intention and God's design that as we walk into his commandments, keeping the Sabbath, keeping kosher, uh, wearing tzitzit, making sure that um, uh, my animals are, are, are not working on the Sabbath day, things like that. Did you know that it is God's intention that as we walk into these commandments that we also draw close to him? That's right. Worship, the Hebrew word avodah, um, coming from the Hebrew word avad, which means to serve. The word worship and the word serve also carry the idea of work. When we serve God, we worship Him. When we worship God, we serve Him. But we also work for God. We are His servants. We are His His slaves. And the Master's intention is to draw close to us in this work, in this service, in this worship. So I want you to keep that in mind. God didn't say just do the commandments but be disconnected in your heart as you're doing them from me. We don't walk into the Torah and our heart is cold towards God. It's not meant to be that way. The Torah commandments are designed to draw us close to God. And as we keep the commandments, then we must believe by faith that God is drawing close to us and that we are drawing close to him through our avodah, through our worship, through our service, through our work. And also... We are drawing close to God through our surrender, through our obedience of Torah commands. Okay, If you begin to look at the Torah like that, then you'll begin to um, have a better and clearer understanding of what God was intended when he meant for us to love him with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds. Because these aspects are inner, our heart, our soul, and our mind. They are inner. But how will we demonstrate this to God that we love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, if not by walking out his ways, keeping his commandments, loving one another, serving one another, uh, investing in the community of the people uh, that, 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 that are in our uh, uh, circles of influence, our families, our friends, our co-workers, etc. This is how we show God that we love him. This is how we demonstrate that we are his treasured people, his Am Segula. With this, I'm going to call this part a it's about 29 or 30 minutes into the commentary and uh we're around uh, the near the bottom of page two the commentary shouldn't be too awfully long today it's only 10 pages 11 pages or so in length and uh we'll call this part a and when we return we're going to talk about the blessings and the curses but what we're going to do is we're going to couch it in the language of god's reprimand that's right god reprimands his children any good father reprimands his children because he wants to correct them and make sure that they stay in line and that they grow up to be proper children. If you don't reprimand your children, what you end up with is spoiled brats. And God doesn't want to raise spoiled brats. So in this next section, part B, we'll begin near the bottom of page 2 with the paragraph entitled 
Tochacha. And that's where we'll return, okay? So stay with us. <laughs> 